I'm going to pray. We're going to get into this. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the love of Jesus, for his church and for his people. I want to thank you that we can, we can join you in the work that you're doing. We can join you in the love that you have for us. We can join you in, in being people, men and women of grace to a world that so desperately needs to know you. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you've caused it to be written. May the words of my mouth this morning and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so remember a long time ago in a land far, far away, we started to work through this book in the Bible called the Gospel of John. Now, we've only been in the Gospel of John for Well, we started in 2009, but we haven't taken that long. We've had some stops and goes. We've done some other series in between there. But I promise you that this summer we are going to finish the Gospel of John. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. We are going to get to the end of this book. And then I have no idea where we're going to go. I've been studying the book of Jonah, which is very interesting. Um, But I don't know. God hasn't really shown me what the next step is for us as far as as the series goes. So if you recall, we are in chapter 16. We were in chapter 16 of John's gospel. Now chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, this is at the end of Jesus ministry on earth. Things are coming to a head and he's about to be crucified and he is with his disciples and he is pouring into them. He's trying to get them as ready as possible so that nothing takes them by surprise too much. But even Jesus knows that until they receive the Holy Spirit, they cannot fully understand the weight of what's about to happen. They're not going to fully comprehend what Christ is actually saying and what he's going to, what he's going to do. And so, but, but I, I love Jesus. He's just, this guy is going to the cross, all right? He's going to be tortured And then nailed to a cross, and yet he still cares for his disciples. Chapter 14, he tells them, tells them, I'm I'm the way to the Father. Almost like you haven't wasted your time with me. Don't be discouraged. You made the right choice. And and then he tells them that that he is he is the life. And he is the way. And he also tells his disciples that, that he is the vine and they are the branches. That they've become part of him in all of this. And he continues just to encourage them. He tells them, you will, you will receive the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Then he explains what the Holy Spirit will do for them. That he will remind them of all his teachings. He will empower them. Jesus is caring for his disciples because he knows that what's about to take place is going to be really traumatic to them. But yet he speaks into their lives. And so we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 16. Is it in there? All right, I'm going to read verse 16 through 18. It says this, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, 
What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. What Jesus is talking about to them is ultimately his crucifixion. He's telling them that they are going to see him. And then in a little while, they're not going to see him. But then he's going to come back to them and they will see him again. And this is not some symbolic way of seeing Jesus. He will literally be with them. He will literally be walking with them. And they are, they are talking, they are talking uh, with themselves. They're, they're a little panicked. They don't quite get what he's talking about. What's this whole little while thing? He's going to be here. He's going to be here for a little while. And then we're not going to see him for a little while. He's going to come back. If, if, if this whole kingdom of God at hand stuff is true, then why would Jesus want to leave anyway? And then, well, if he changed his mind, and this has all just been a big sham, well, why is he going to leave? Why is he going to come back? And so they're really wrestling with this whole idea, these, this thing that Jesus has told him. And then what Jesus will do, he will speak to them. He will say, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because, her, because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. It's very interesting to me that Jesus discerns what's going on with his disciples. He, 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 he looks into the situation, and he will speak to them, not just to answer their question... But he is going to get to the heart of the matter. He looks past the surface. He looks beyond the superficial. And he goes right to what's really happening in them. He must know. We always say that, well, Jesus knows this because he's God. And God, as God, he has supernatural powers. That's true. And as, and as God, Jesus, he, he can read people's thoughts. And that's true. This is not what's, this is not is what's happening in this text. The disciples they're talking back and forth, they're discussing this whole thing, and Jesus is with them, and Jesus is listening to them. Here's a guy that's about to go to the cross. He's about to be tortured, and yet he is still very present in the moment with his disciples. He is not just with them as part of his location of where he is, but he is fully aware of what's going on. He is in the moment. He is present in that moment. And by being present then and there, he's able to see what's troubling them. And he's able to speak into their lives. And he's able to make a difference with, with his words. In church, we can learn a lot about this idea of being fully present in the moment. Do you realize how much of life we miss by thinking about the past, by worrying about the future, and missing the very moments that you're being involved in right now? Missing what is happening right now. I bet you many of you this morning have been sitting here thinking about what you have to do when you leave church. Or what you did before you got here. 
And maybe you just might miss what God would have for you right this very minute, right now. We miss so much of life, so much interaction with people because we're always worried about things that we we just really can't control ultimately, but we have this very moment. I myself, I'm, I'm working on this whole thing. I haven't, in the past, I haven't been very good at this. I mean, I've been home a lot, but many times I wasn't home. And I know you guys, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes when I'm church, I'm just, I'm just not here because my mind is elsewhere. And I'm very happy that I have a very patient and loving wife. Because I've been in a place and I have checked out emotionally. I have checked out mentally. I am somewhere else. And I've missed so much of life doing that. And I am sure I am not alone in this room. That when we are present, fully present in the moment, it's then that we too can speak into people's lives. We look beyond the superficial. We look beyond just what's, what's laying on the surface. And we hear. And we see. And we can speak words of encouragement. That's what Jesus is doing here. Yes, you know what? He has eternity in mind. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that there's a goal at the end of this journey, and he is taking steps to get there. But in this moment, he is very present with his disciples, putting them first, caring for them, speaking into their lives with encouragement and truth. Not only can we do this, Church, we need to do this. We need to do this for each other, for people that we come in contact with every day. This is not something that's supernatural. This is something that we all can get a hold of. So do it. Don't make excuses anymore. And then Jesus is going to tell them, and he's going to be very clear with them, and he'll tell them, what's he say? Very truly, I tell you, and when that is spoken especially in this gospel something something very important is coming and Jesus is not going to beat around the bush he's not going to sugarcoat anything he's going to speak to the disciples what's really going on he's going to go beyond their question of we don't understand what he means by a little while and he's going to speak to what's really happening and he tells them you guys are going to suffer lots of grief And you're going to be filled with sorrow while the world rejoices that they've killed me. The world is going to be happy that once and for all, they have finally gotten rid of this troublesome rabbi who is just bringing all these people and freaking them out and making all these mobs and and fighting against the religious system. He's going to be dead and they're going to be very happy. But his disciples... The disciples are going to grieve and they're going to mourn because they've lost their friend. They've lost their rabbi. They've lost their Lord. They've lost their Savior. But he tells them it doesn't end there. Your, joy, your sorrow, your sorrow will turn to joy. And he gives them a, an object lesson. Because what's happening here is Joy is not going to replace. Let me me rephrase it. The thing that's causing the sorrow is not going to go away. It's how it's going to be viewed that's going to be changed. And he uses this idea of a woman giving birth. Now, 
Gentlemen, we have no idea what a woman goes through when she gives birth. Mike can attest to this. He told me when I went to visit, he felt very helpless at one point. We don't understand the pain, but what Jesus is teaching is very true because when a woman goes through this an amazing experience, but a painful experience, and that baby is in her arms, it seems that that, that grief and pain just kind of melts away, and they have this child. If it wasn't true, then there would be a lot of families with only one kid. Maybe, maybe I can give the guys a, 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 uh, an example. Exercise. You know when you exercise, and you just start exercising? We're men. And so we have to lift as much weight as we possibly can the first time out. And we have to squat as much weight as we can the first time out. And so what happens is the next day, you can't get out of bed. And you walk funny. And people laugh at you, and you're like, yeah, I benched, you know, 900 pounds. And, you know, and it's, it's stupidity on our part. But over time, as you, as you work out, and you have those sore muscles, and, and it's working out, I, I don't think it's fun, but it's, it's necessary. But we're working out, and we're, we're going through all this pain. But at the end, when you get on the scale, and you see, wow, I, I lost a few pounds. Or just your quality of life is a little different. That pain those experiences that you had just kind of seem to go away, and now you, you reap the benefit of it. See, nothing has changed in the situation. Just the way you're looking at it has changed. What Jesus is, is not saying here is that these disciples will not suffer sorrow throughout their life. In fact, if you know history, the disciples ended uh, they, they suffered and they, as they brought the gospel and, and all of them died very horrific deaths. But what he is telling him is that the sorrow that they're experiencing from the cross will, will be turned to joy once they understand the full weight of what's taking place. And so it is with so many things in our lives, so many things that we experience in our life. The hard things that we go through just might be part of God's plan for you. The difficulty and the pain and the grief that you're experiencing. Sometimes when you get to the other side of it and you've, you've gone through it and you can look back. And then you can see maybe mercy and grace and peace. And it was all part of God's plan to bring you some type of joy, some type of growth, something different in your life. It's kind of like the story I shared last week. And if you didn't hear it, well, you have to go online to listen because I'm not going to share it again. That God would use something very painful and bring something, bring blessing out of it. The situation didn't change, change but how I view it has. And so the very thing that is bringing the disciples sorrow will bring them joy. And this is what Jesus saw in them. This is what Jesus knew was at the heart of their questions and at the heart of their conversation. This is what Jesus was able to discern by being present in that moment with them. Now, what we're going to get into next is not an easy teaching. 
I don't have all the answers for you this morning in this. I'm still working through it and figuring it out myself. I hope to challenge you a little bit in this. I hope to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And, and that's okay. Well, let's just, let's just go for it. This is what Jesus will say. He will tell them this, his disciples. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. So what he is saying is, in that day, after Jesus has been crucified, after he has risen from the dead, after he has been able to impart the Holy Spirit on his disciples... We will be able to come to the Father and ask whatever we want. And the Father is going to give it to us. Jesus is killed. Buried. He's resurrected from the dead. He comes. He's physically with his disciples. We've been reconciled through his death. We've been justified through his death. He imparts the Holy Spirit upon them and upon us. We receive the Spirit. We receive this power. We receive this anointing. And because of this, now we, everyone in this room, can come to the Father, ask the Father for something, and get whatever you ask. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Can I be honest for a moment? I really wrestle with these texts in the Bible. I mean, these, these words of Jesus, they cause, they cause tension in me. Especially this, ask whatever you want and you can get it. The simple truth is, I don't always get whatever I ask in prayer. I don't know if I'm the only one, but this is my experience. I don't always get what I ask for in prayer. Don't get me wrong. God has answered prayers for me. I have prayed and he has answered the prayer or the situation went the way I hoped it would go. And that sounds like answer to prayer. I prayed something and God delivered. I got what I wanted. And so, obviously, that was the answer to my prayer, right? I mean, Philippians 4 tells us that we are to to present our request to God through prayer and supplication. But sometimes, sometimes, it doesn't even come close, man. Like, I'm praying for something for a long time, and I get nothing. It's almost like God doesn't hear me anymore. He He hasn't come through. And it can be very frustrating, especially when I read texts like this. Very truly, I tell you, what Jesus is saying is, listen up, this is very important. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Okay. That's good to know. And and in Christian world, evangelical world, we don't like to live in the tension of the scriptures. We like to have everything neat and tidy and have it all figured out. So what do we say? We say, oh, no. See, See, God answers all prayers. Sometimes he just says no. Okay, that's not what it says there. It says, ask whatever you want, and I'm going to get it. Oh, no, 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 no. See, Dennis, you've got it all wrong. You have to ask in accordance to the will 
of the Father. Oh, that's much easier. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, my thoughts are not God's thoughts, and God's ways are not my ways, and God is way up here, man, and I'm way down here. And if you ever studied that word, will, it's about God's predetermined ideas anyway. So I got to know what God wants to do in every moment. Then I can pray what he wants me to do because he's going to make it happen anyway, and then I get the answer to the prayer. But you know what? It doesn't say that there. It says, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. No, no, see, you have to take it all in the context of the entire Bible, then, then you'll see it works out better. I don't like that answer either. And so I wrestle with these ideas. Now, when it says here that, that, that you can ask anything in my name, okay, the word ask could mean that you are requesting something, you, you want God to give you something, or you're asking God a question. Have you ever asked God like a simple question like, why? And you get nothing. Or maybe you don't get the answer you wanted. And so if you don't get the answer you wanted, obviously God's not answering you correctly. So what is it that we're missing in this idea of of coming to God and asking? What is is it? What's, What's going on? I mean, I have been wrestling with prayer for what seems like forever. I mean, this, this, this idea is, I mean, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I've missed it for so many years. And it's only that in this year, probably right after my father died, that, that I started to really think about praying. And at this point, I'm just scratching the surface, but I believe I have found a different surface to scratch. And I'm working through it, and, and I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, personally, I have labored in prayer. I have asked, I've knocked, and I've and I've sought God, and I make my petitions, and, and you know, and I'm just on my knee, and I'm saying, please, God, please, God, please, God. I mean, isn't 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 prayer supposed to be life giving? And sometimes, man, I don't get the things that I've been asking for. And I've asked for some things for many, many years. And isn't prayer supposed to be life-giving? And if you constantly are asking for the same thing over and over again, and you're constantly not getting what you've asked for, does that bring life to you? Or does that just kind of cause frustration? And sometimes it even sucks the life out of you. Just like, ugh, what's going on? And even, even in those unselfish prayers, where you're praying for someone else, we really believe that your heart is pure and it's true, and you're praying that God would heal someone or bring something good upon someone else, and it doesn't happen. And sometimes, I'll be honest, that's tiring, To continually come to God with my list of prayers and have him just seem like he shrugs it off. And hear those Christian-isms floating around in my head. Well, you know, he just said no. That's not what this... That's not what it says. There are stories of Jesus in the Bible. And he goes away to a very lonely place. And he prays. Sometimes in the, in the stories, he prays all night long. Did you ever think for a minute, what, what's he doing all night long? 
Is he reading his Bible or the Torah? Probably not. He has it memorized. He's God. He wouldn't have owned one because it was too expensive. Is he going through his list? Now, now listen, don't get me wrong. To pray for things and to pray for people, to have a list of prayers that you want to, to seek God at, we're called to do that. We're encouraged to do those things. But what are we missing? What was Jesus doing all night long? I mean, my prayer list, man, our tops, and I'm done. Then I just start going over the same things again. Maybe, maybe I have to do it twice and God will hear. I, I don't know. But what was Jesus doing all night? I've been spending a lot of time recently, over the last few months, reading and, and studying and practicing something that's called contemplative prayer. Now, don't get all freaked out on me. Um, many times when we hear those words, it's like, ooh, that's, that sounds like new age. It's not. I've been reading authors like Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr and Eugene Peterson that talk about this contemplative way of life to pray in this, this different way. I've been thinking about the anointing that Jesus walked in, the power and the authority that he walked in. And I'm beginning to learn that, 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 that part, of, part of that whole experience that he had on earth was because of his prayer life. It was because of the relationship that he had with the Father. And man, I want that. If you remember a bunch of years ago, I said, I want to see signs and wonders in the church again. If God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then we should see those things. The outpouring of the Spirit. So what are we missing as a church? The phrase that we, that we use when we're seeking a deeper truth, when we're seeking a God truth, is, is we say, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about something. And we, we really, it's, it's us going to God and, and asking and knocking and seeking. We, we, we make our requests to him. We kind, of, we kind of put our agenda forth. And we try to influence him to do it our way. That's what most of our prayer life is. Trying to influence God to do the things that we believe he should be doing or the things that we really want him to do. Almost like we're trying to coerce him into, my way's better. I know you're God, but, you know, maybe you can give me a bone here. And so we just continually ask, and hear me. Please hear me again. We are called to go to God and present our requests to him. It's biblical. But if that's all we're doing, we are missing something very, very big. Because I read texts like this that say, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give me, and I don't get whatever I ask all the time. So where is the disconnect in my life? Where am I coming up short in all of that? Have you ever noticed that Jesus could only do what he saw the Father doing? We see this in the, in the New Testament over and over again because Jesus says it. I, I, I can only do what I see the Father doing. And the only time Jesus really prayed before a miracle was for the benefit of other people. 
Like when he was at the grave for Lazarus, he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. I thank you that you always hear me, but this is not for my benefit, but for the benefit of those who are listening. Jesus never prayed to get God to do something for him. Why ask God to do something that he's already doing? Jesus never prayed to God that he would, that he would uh, heal the man who was lame. What did he do? He said, pick up your mat and walk. And the young girl who was dead, he walked into the room. He didn't pray to God to raise her from the dead. He said, little girl, get up. And the whole demonic thing, he didn't ask God to kick the demons out. He didn't make people cough the demons out. He told them, leave. There was an authority that he walked in. And some people that he healed were people of great faith. And some people that he healed had no faith at all. And sometimes he couldn't even heal people because of whatever the situation was. But here's the thing. Jesus knew what the Father was doing. And he joined him in that work. He stepped into the stream. He was in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And he knew. And he did. There wasn't a lot of asking on Jesus' part. There was a lot of doing over and over again. The woman who was, who was bleeding for years and years, she just touched him and she was healed. And he felt the power go out of him. Do you realize that we can all walk in that authority? That we can all walk with that intensity and that, that anointing of the Spirit. Richard Rohr would call this whole idea uh, resonance. That you got to put out a spiritual tuning fork. And it's about turning your spirit and turning your heart and turning your mind to receive God's ever-present message to each one of us. God is always at work. God is always doing something. God is always speaking. And we have to open ourselves up to actually hear that, to empty yourself, to hear what God would have to say to you. I can imagine Jesus leaving the crowd, leaving his disciples, going off to that lonely place to pray. And he would just let his guard down. He would no longer try to be Messiah, rabbi, teacher. He would just be a son. And he would sit there in the presence of his father. And his prayers would not be, wouldn't be prayers of words or any pretense. He would just receive. He would just allow the spirit to groan for him. He would release his his ideas and his own actions. He would be releasing his fear and even his anger. I mean, the man was human. And he would sit in the presence of the Lord. And he would be filled. And he would have this intimate, intimate knowledge of the Father and who the Father was and what the Father was doing. 
it would almost be like he would allow prayer to happen to him instead of prayer being something that he had to do. And this is, this is why Jesus was able to do the things that he did. And in part, I believe this is why we don't do the things that Jesus did. We lack that intimacy with the Father. We lack taking the time to just sit in his presence and understand that prayer is much more than just going through a list of things. But to, to man, I don't have all the answers. I'm, just, I'm a new student to this idea. But to, to, to empty yourself and to hear from God. I, I, would think, I would think that knowing God on a very deep and intimate level takes the guesswork out of life takes the guesswork out of what you should be praying for, what you should be doing, what decisions you should be making, because you would see where the Father is working and you would do the things that the Father is already doing. Knowing, knowing God that way, it changes who you are. It changes how you live. It changes the words that you speak. It changes the things that you do. Sitting in the presence of the glory of the Lord can do nothing but change a person. Deeply, deeply change a person. And see, isn't that what we want for the church? We don't want a nice building. We don't want, we want people's lives to be transformed, to walk in the spirit and the anointing. And, and why don't we see signs and wonders? I mean, is this why our prayer life is so anemic? Does anybody here struggle with prayer? I mean, anyone? I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, it's hard. Maybe it's because we're always trying to ask and ask and ask, and then we don't get what we want because, I mean, and, and, and even in, in all honesty, we're asking God for the good, even of others, and we don't get it, and we get frustrated, and we're just like, why bother anymore? Have we missed the prayer of contemplation? Have we missed the time of just sitting in the presence of of the Lord and letting him speak and letting him change and letting him tear away those things that are in us. I would say we have. We've missed it. And I am so... I'm so committed to learning this for myself and for the good of the church that, in fact, I've been speaking with David Miners. David Miners, you all know him. A lot of you know him. He... He has been a contemplative for over 30 years where he sits and he meditates before the Lord every single day for at least an hour. And he says it's the only way that he can get through his life. He's a counselor. It's the only way that he can actually hear all of this brokenness around him every day and be able to speak into those people's lives. And so I've asked him come the end of September that he is going to offer some classes for us on the idea of contemplative prayer. And it's not for everybody. It's awkward. We, we, we're trained to think that we have to do, we have to speak. And we don't listen very well anyway. Guys don't listen very well anyway. We're fixers. And if we're not praying for God to do something, then obviously we're not fixing the situation. 
And you see, we have to be fixed before we're going to fix anything else in the world. And so, so stay tuned. I, I mean, I'm sorry that I don't have more concrete seven easy steps to become a contemplative. I, I don't. I'm working through this myself. But stay tuned. Don't lose hope in prayer. Don't become discouraged when God doesn't answer. Know that maybe it's not him, it's you not walking in the stream of the things that he's doing. But understand, he still loves you. He's not angry with you. In fact, he's probably like, no, over here. I'm over here. I'm not over there. I mean, he's calling us. He desires for us to walk this earth as his son walked the earth. To speak words. To see the spirit manifest itself in healing and signs and wonders. Miracles. I want to see a miracle. I want miracles to be so second nature that (laughs) he got healed. Yeah, whatever. Instead of, (gasps) you know, I believe that God wants to do that today. I believe God wants to do that today. So let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for I want to thank you for prayer. I want to thank you that I want to thank you that we don't fully understand it. Because if we did, you would stop being God. I love the mystery that you present to us, Lord. I love the tension that we could we can walk in in our lives. But God, slowly, please bring to mind the ideas of intimacy with you. What does it mean to be intimate with our Father? God, I pray that we would take time to just be quiet before you. Lord, I pray that your spirit right now would fill everyone in this room just a little bit more. And that you would begin to birth, that you would light the spark of contemplation in their lives, that that something new would happen in their prayer life. Something fresh and something exciting and something they don't fully understand, which continues them coming back to you. I pray against discouragement for those prayers that, that go seemingly go unanswered. And I pray that in those times where the enemy whispers in your ear those lies, that you are not loved, that you are not worthy, that you are, that God doesn't hear you. I pray that, that your spirit would come against those and they would speak truth of love and grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do, all that you've given us. And I look forward to what you will continue to pour out on your church. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.